Thanks for checking out this message from River Valley Church in Boise, Idaho. We hope that it encourages you and inspires you. For more messages like this, make sure to check out our podcast. And for more content from River Valley, go to our website, rivervalleyboise.com. Enjoy this message. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Hey, it's great to be at River Valley again today and to see all of you. Lavana and I are really thankful to be a part of this great family. And we want you to know that we are adopted into this family and we love you. Amen. And I want to say such energy that there is in the house this morning in this time of worship. I love full-bodied worship when people are just opening their hearts and shouting praises to God, and I would encourage you in that. Before, um, before that, I want to share with you, today is my wife's birthday. She's 29 again, and she's the most wonderful thing that could happen to a man in this world. I mean, she is amazing. She is wonderful. She is beautiful. I could never describe this beautiful red-haired lady to all of you, but she is amazing. So happy birthday, Lavana, right in front of everybody. What a joy. It's the first time I've ever been able to celebrate my birthday with you. And I'm, I'm working on a century. So I'm working on it. <laughs> uh, this morning, this morning as we were worshiping, the Lord gave me a word for you. I keep, you know, this is the new Bible, so I'm trying to, <laughs> trying to get it to stay where it's supposed to stay. Uh, I heard the Lord say, church, I'm stretching you and growing you up to love. Love is more powerful than death. And the Lord took me to the word again, and I'll read it to you out of Song of Solomon. I ask you to mark your word. Keep coming back to it. As you learn how to intercede up to love. Meaning that there's a place that the Lord's calling this house to. That's higher than you've ever been before. And it's more powerful. It's going to release. I heard the Lord say. A dispensation of miracles. I don't know what all that means. But you're you're walking in at church. In Song of Solomon, chapter 8, starting at verse 6, Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. That's a picture, a prophetic picture of the love the Father is growing this house up to. When you worship like we worship this morning, you're casting off of you all kinds of fear. All kinds of fear because there's no fear in love. And as those fears are cast off of you, you're being stretched and you're growing up to love. You're growing up to a love that's more powerful than any threat of death, any threat of disease, any threat of torment. Whatever you're faced with, any threat 
of loss of salvations. That means your children. That means your children's children. The Lord is growing you up to something, church. So praise with all your might. Pray with all your might. Place his love like a seal over your heart that no matter what comes at you, you just keep praising. You just keep praying because he is stretching you. He is growing you up to love. And it's the most powerful force in the earth. And it is the kingdom of God coming in the earth. Amen. Yes, Lord, we receive your word today. Yes, Lord, we receive the new dispensation of your love poured out upon us that will deliver us from all fear and deliver us from all bondage and bring us into that holy place of obedience to the will of God in our lives greater than we've ever had before. If you receive it, say amen. 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 Hallelujah. Thank God for his word. Thank God for his spirit. I love the worship this morning. I love River Valley. I wish I could be here all the time. If I were in Boise, this is where I would go to church. I tell you, you are, you've, you've got a great place to grow here, great place to experience God. I want to honor your pastor, Pastor Tim, and thank God for this man of God who serves so faithfully, honorably, and powerfully as the key leader of this church and all the pastoral team of leaders, the leadership team, the elders. I just want to say what a great job you're doing. We spent time with them this week in McCall, spent time in prayer and worship, sharing together in the Word of God. We go a lot of places. I minister in a lot of places. I've been in three countries already this year so far, and uh, in uh, two in Africa and one in Asia. I travel around the United States in different churches. I want to tell you, you've got a great leadership team here at River Valley Church. Come on. You've got a great leadership team here. Great worship in this church. Great word. Great opportunity. It's a great place to grow. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, I was trying to decide what I was going to preach on this morning, and I just decided I was going to preach on God. Sometimes when uh, we were going to church, my family would ask me, what are you going to preach on today, Daddy? And I say, I'm going to preach on God. They say, well, get a little more specific. And I say, well, I'm going to, I'm going to preach it out of the Bible. And they say, well, what, what are you going to say? I'm going to talk about Jesus. So that's what I'm going to talk about today. Hallelujah. I want to say that our God is good. Our God is loving. Our God is faithful. Our God is merciful. Our God is patient. Our God is kind. And our God is generous. That's what I want to talk about this morning is the generous love of God. Has God been generous with you? Generous means we get more than we deserve. It's a picture of the grace of God that puts into us things we don't, things we don't deserve, but we receive them because of the goodness and the generosity of our God. Before I share today, I want to, I want to ask you just to hold on tight today as we, as we share this time together. It reminds me of a story of an old man named John and his wife Martha lived a long time ago. Every year they'd go to the county fair. John's favorite thing at the county fair was an antique airplane that this old pilot brought every year to the fair. It was one of those with two wings on this side and two wings on that side, an open cockpit, and they would come up there and John would say, Oh, Martha, 
I want to ride in this airplane. And Martha would say, John, you can't ride in this airplane because it costs $10. John said, well, $10 is not much, she said, but $10 is $10. And so they would walk away. Next year, they came back to the fair. John was right there in front of that airplane. He'd say, Martha, I want to ride in that airplane. And she'd say, no, John, you can't ride in that airplane because it costs $10, and $10 is $10. Next year, they came, and John was getting old, and he was standing there in front of the airplane. He said, Martha, I'm going to be 91 next year, and I've always wanted to ride in this airplane. Can I ride in the airplane this year? And Martha said, no, John, you can't ride in this airplane because it costs $10, and $10 is $10. But the pilot heard them talk, and he came back there, and he said, John and Martha, I've heard you. You stood in front of this airplane for years now. I know, John, you always wanted to ride in this airplane, and so I'm going to give you a chance to ride in this airplane for free. Both of you can ride for free as long as you don't say a word. John grabbed Martha's hand, they jumped into the plane, the pilot was in the front seat, and John was in the middle, and Martha was in the back. The pilot took off, John's hat flew off, Martha's scarf was flying in the wind. They flew up over the fairground, he showed them all around the fairground, and showed them all around the city, and didn't say a word. So the pilot said, well, I'm going to do a few tricks, so he banked it hard to the left, not a word. He banked it hard to the right, there was not a word. So the pilot said, I'm going to have to do a few more tricks. So he did a full loop with the airplane and still not a word. He even flew it upside down for a moment and not a word. Finally, he landed back at the airfield, landed back at the airfield at the county fair. Not a word. He said, hey, John, I'm going to have to give it to you free because you didn't say a word. And John said, I thought about saying something when Martha fell out. But then $10 is $10. (laughs) Hang on to your seat this morning. I want to share with you the, I want to share with you from the Word of God. I'm going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Is it all right to laugh in church? (laughs) 2 Corinthians chapter 9. (laughs) Oh, I love having a good time in church. Here in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, the Apostle Paul is encouraging the church in their generosity and their ministry to the church in Jerusalem. The church in Corinth was more prosperous. The church in Jerusalem was suffering because of the great persecution that had come upon the believers there, and they were giving an opportunity for an offering for the church in Jerusalem, here in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8. And God will provide all you need. I want to say that over all of you today. God will provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, They share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. Here Paul talks about the generosity of God that the people were experiencing and the opportunity to express that generosity in helping others. 
Verse 10 says, For God is the one who provides seed to the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, He will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of what? Generosity. God will produce a great harvest. You see, God is sowing His generosity into us, and we have the opportunity to multiply that generosity so that God receives a harvest of generosity in our lives. Look at verse 11. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. God's blessings in your life are for a purpose, and that is so that you can be a blessing to others and you can demonstrate the generosity of God in your life. Amen. Amen. And continue reading, and it says, And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two things happen as a result of this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. I want to share with you two results of your generosity. Number one is, your generosity will meet the need of somebody else. But number two, and this is the greatest part, your generosity gives glory to God. It honors God, and God receives the praise. Notice here it says in in verse 13, as a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God for your generosity to them, and all the believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. Notice that your generosity is proof of your obedience to Jesus Christ. And then this wonderful verse. Thank God for this gift. Too wonderful for words. What's the gift he's talking about? He's talking about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about God who loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. That's what it's all about. That's what generosity is all about. It began with the generous heart of God that didn't even withhold his one and only son, but he opened up his heart and gave the best of heaven for us and gave his son who came to the earth and lived and died for our for our redemption. He rose again from the dead, and we have the opportunity of knowing God's Son. Thank God for this gift, too wonderful for words. I want to look at a couple more verses in 1 Peter chapter 4. I'm going to tell a story, and we're going to pray together. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says, God has given gifts to each of you from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Manage them well so that God's generosity can flow through you. God has given gifts, spiritual gifts. Often when we talk about generosity, the first thing we think about is money. But I don't really believe that's the first thing that's on God's heart. I believe the first thing that's on his heart is your heart. And the gifts that he's invested into you, spiritual gifts, gifts that he's invested 
into your life. And it says here that each of you has received gifts, and as we use them, God's generosity flows through you. We are never called to hoard our money, but we're never called to hoard the spiritual, supernatural gifts that God has put into our lives. They're meant for us and for others to share, to share with others around us. Manage them well so that God's generosity can flow through you. Verse 11, are you called to be a speaker? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Are you called to help others? Do it with the strength and energy that God supplies. Then God will be given glory in everything through Jesus Christ. All glory and power belong to him forever and ever. Come on, say it with me. Amen. Hallelujah. God is more generous than anyone in all the universe. God opened up his heart of love and gave his only begotten son to die on the cross for us so that we could be saved, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could have eternal life. And out of the generosity of God, he gave us his son. And now the Bible tells us that the way that we can let his generosity flow through us is to open up our hearts and allow his gifts to flow through us to love and minister to others. How does God's generosity flow through? It it tells you in two ways in these verses. It says that his words flowing from you are an evidence of the generosity of God. His words, when you speak words for God. I want to talk for just a moment about generous words, loving words, exhorting words, edifying words, building up words that you have within your heart that God wants to flow through you to other people, to encourage others, to strengthen others. It's allowing the gifts of God to flow through you. It's the generous heart of God that flows through you when you build up others. I want to talk just a minute about compliments. You know, compliments are so powerful. It's when you recognize something good in someone else and you say it. Mark Twain said, I can live a good two weeks on a compliment. And I know I can too. Somebody says, that's a nice shirt. I'll stand in front of the mirror and look at, look at that shirt. And somebody says, well, you're looking good, Larry. I mean, I'll go back to the mirror. Nobody else may see it, but I see it because somebody told me. And I want to tell you, it's especially this one person that tells me that uh, really makes me feel like I'm the most handsome man in the world. Compliments are so powerful, and all of us have the ability to share a compliment with someone, to say something good about someone. I told my wife this morning, you're the most beautiful person in the world. I love your hair. I love the way you dress today. Those earrings look so good on you. She's amazing. She's amazing. You have women build up your husband's. Use your words to build him up, never to tear him down. You're the most, you're the strongest man in the world. (sighs) Make him roar a little bit. Yeah. Oh, how we men need it. We look like we're so strong, but we need our wives to build us up. 
We need to build up one another, and you can do it by finding something generous to say about somebody else and say it to, say it to them. I want to share with you today that the most powerful way you can use your words to build someone up, most powerful way you can use your words to allow God's generous heart to flow through you is to tell your testimony to someone who doesn't know Jesus. Your testimony is your story. It's, and all of us have a story of what our life was like before and how we met Jesus and how he's changed the story of our life. And the most generous thing you can do is to open up the doors of your heart and allow it flow, to flow through your words to share your story with someone else. And... I, and you can, you can share with someone, but begin by listening to their story. Uh, tell me a little bit about your story. Maybe it's somebody you just met or even a coworker. Tell me your story. Where'd you come from? Where'd you grow up? What do you like to do? Just find out something about them, and you're hoping that they will say, well, tell me some of your story. But if they don't, I say, well, let me just tell you a little bit about my story. <laughs> let me tell you where I came, where I came from. And this is your opportunity to do your one-minute testimony. Don't do your one-hour testimony. They won't, they'll fall asleep. Do your one-minute testimony. Take 20 seconds to tell them what your life was like before you met Jesus. Take 20 seconds to tell them what, how you met Jesus. Take 20 seconds to tell them how your life has been changed since you met Jesus. I just want to tell you a little bit about my life. I was born in North Carolina. Maybe you can tell by my accent. It doesn't hurt to put in a little humor into what, you, what you're saying to them. I was number, the sixth child in the family of seven, but I was the best-looking one of all of them. <laughs> I'm, I'm putting a little humor into my one-minute testimony here, folks. You've got to keep their interest a little bit. So uh, I, I was, I'm, I'm the best-looking one of the family. You should see my brothers, you know. But I tell them about our family was very poor. There were seven children. There were nine of us that lived in two rooms. We didn't have a well. We didn't have a toilet. We didn't have anything besides my dad was an alcoholic. My three older brothers were alcoholics. It was miserable in our home. There was all kinds of abuse happening in our family. But I want to tell you something happened in my life when I was 10 years old. My mother began to pray for our family and my dad decided that he wanted to go to church. For the first time in our life, our family went to church. My mom, my dad, my sister, and I went to a church. And there we heard the message about Jesus Christ. We heard that God loved the world so much he gave his son. We heard that Jesus died on the cross for us. We heard that we could be forgiven of all our sins and our lives could change. And so that night, my family went down to the altar and we dedicated our lives. This 10-year-old boy, I gave my heart to Jesus along beside my dad. When we went home, everything was different. It felt like the devil had moved out of our house and Jesus had moved in. Everything changed. My dad began to bring money home. There was no more abuse in our family. We bought a car. We went on vacation. My older brothers and sisters didn't have an opportunity to graduate school, but I graduated from high school. This is all because of the change that happened in my family through Jesus Christ. And, and I even went to college, and I even taught in college, and God is now using me. I travel all around the world, and I'm able to share with others about what God has done in my life. 
Well, that's just a short version of what God's done in my life. But if you ever want to hear more about it, I'll be glad to share with you. Don't push too much on them, but open up and give them the essence of your heart, the essence of your testimony. It's the most generous and obedient thing that you can do is to share the good news about what Jesus Christ has done in your life. Number one, God's words flow his uh, generosity through you. Number two is God's actions allow his generosity to flow through you. Generous actions back up your generous words. Sharing your time, your home, your resources, your food, sharing yourself with other people will open hearts. Proverbs 18:16 says giving a gift can open doors. I'm talking about being kind to other people and letting God's goodness and generosity flow through your life. Look for something your friend likes. Look, look for something your coworker likes. Uh, find out what their love language is. And if you don't know what it is, I'll tell you that the universal love language is coffee. I mean, uh, can, I, can I get you a coffee? What do you like in your coffee? I'll tell you, I came in the door today and I smelled the coffee. I felt the presence immediately. It was... It was just the overwhelming presence was there. I want to tell you, coffee has an anointing on its own, you know. I mean, yeah, I mean, it can change your life, too. It can be just that simple. Hey, is there anything I can get you? Hey, is there anything, I, anything uh, any, any coffee you would like or anything like that? Let God's generosity flow through your life in simple ways. And now I want to finish with, with, by telling a story. And uh, this is an amazing story to illustrate how generosity comes from God and multiplies itself through us. Even in simple ways, God's generosity can multiply in us and, and affect other people's lives. Hey, I want to ask you, is it too early to tell a Christmas story? This story comes from Christmas. This story is by Lee Strobel, the former atheist newspaper reporter who began to open his heart to Christ through acts of generosity he saw in others. And here's the story in his words. Against the backdrop of the Christmas season encrusted with self-centeredness and materialism, churches have a tremendous opportunity to crack open the hearts of people in their community through humble acts of generosity and sacrifice that truly reflect the attitudes of Jesus. These countercultural expressions of giving and caring can, can capture the attention of even the most cynical skeptics. Lee Strobel says, I personally found this out when I was an atheist and working as a reporter at the Chicago Tribune. More than 30 years later, I still remember the simple but profound Christmas lesson I received from a poverty-wracked family living on the west side of Chicago. The newsroom was eerily quiet on the day before Christmas. As I sat at my desk with little to do, my mind kept wandering back to a family I had encountered a month earlier while I was working on a series of articles about Chicago's neediest people, the Delgados. 60-year-old Perfecta and her two granddaughters, Lydia and Jenny. They'd been burned out of their roach-infested tenement and were now living in a tiny two-room apartment. As I walked in, I couldn't believe how empty it was. There was no furniture, no rugs, nothing on the walls, 
only a small kitchen table with just a handful of rice. That's it. They were virtually without any resources in their lives. In fact, 11-year-old Lydia and 13-year-old Jenny owned only one short-sleeved dress each, plus one thin gray sweater between them. When they walked a half mile to school through the biting cold, Lydia would wear the sweater for part of the distance and then hand, hand it over to her shivering sister who would wear it the rest of the way. But despite their poverty, the painful arthritis the grandmother had, she still kept talking confidently about her faith in Jesus. She was convinced he had not abandoned them. I never sensed despair or self-pity in her home. Instead, there was a gentle feeling of hope and peace. I wrote an article about the Delgados, and then I quickly moved on to more exciting assignments. But as I sat at my desk on Christmas Eve, I continued to wrestle with the irony of the situation. Here was a family that had nothing but faith and seemed happy. While I had everything I needed materially but lacked faith, and inside, I was as empty and barren as their apartment. I decided to drive over to West Homer Street and see how the Delgados were doing. When Jenny opened the door, I couldn't believe my eyes. My readers had responded to my article by showering the Delgados with a treasure trove of gifts. Rooms full of furniture, appliances, and rugs, a lavish Christmas tree with piles of wrapped presents underneath, carton upon bulging carton of food was in the house, and a dazzling selection of clothing, including dozens of warm winter coats and scarves and gloves. On top of that, they donated thousands of dollars in cash. But as surprised I was at this outpouring, I was even more astonished by what my visit was interrupting. Perfecta and her granddaughters were getting ready to give away much of their newfound wealth. When I asked Perfecta why, she replied in halting English, our neighbors still are in need. We cannot have plenty while they have nothing. This is what Jesus would want us to do. That blew me away. If I'd been in their position at that time in my life, I would have been hoarding everything. I asked Perfecta what she thought about the generosity of the people who had sent all these goodies, and again, her response amazed me. This is wonderful. This is very good, she said. We did nothing to deserve this. It's a gift from God. But she added, it's not the greatest gift. No, we celebrate that tomorrow. It's Jesus. To her, this child in the manger was the undeserved gift that meant everything. More than material possessions, more than comfort, more than security. And at that moment, something inside me wanted desperately to know this Jesus. Because in a sense, I saw him in Perfecta and her granddaughters. They had peace despite poverty, while I had anxiety despite plenty. They knew the joy of generosity while I only knew the loneliness of ambition. They looked heavenward for hope while I only looked out for myself. They experienced the wonder of the spiritual while I was shackled to the shallowness of the material. And something 
made me long for what they had, or more accurately, the one they knew. As I would caution myself whenever the Delgados would come to mind from time to time over the ensuing years, I'm not the sort of person who's driven by feelings. As a journalist, I was far more interested in facts, evidence, data, and concrete reality. Virgins don't get pregnant. There is no God who became a baby. And Christmas is little more than an annual orgy of consumption driven by the greed of corporate America, or so I thought. My subsequent investigation into the historical evidence of Christianity did end up persuading me that the baby in the manger really was the Son of God. The Delgados amazed me by the way they sacrificially reached out to their neighbors with a tangible expression of Christ's love. What an opportunity for all of us to follow. And to watch as God cracks open the hearts of even the most hard-hearted cynics. I love the story of this atheist, unbeliever, hard-hearted man who was just focused on the material, but he encountered a family who had Jesus in their lives. And even though they didn't have anything, they had peace. And when they had plenty, they gave it away to honor God. Their focus was on Jesus, and I love the part where he says, and something inside me made me long to know this Jesus. Friends, God wants to do that in your life and mine so that our words and our actions will make somebody around you long to know Jesus. They'll feel their need of Jesus in some way. They're going to come to know Jesus as a result of your words and your actions that demonstrate the heart of our generous God. I'm going to finish with three ways of, of applying this. Number one, use your gifts to show God's generosity. Whatever God has given you. You may have a lot, you may have a little, but you have something that you can show God's generosity. Number two, show God's generosity through your words and through your actions. Find some ways of expressing Christ to others. I've just shared about sharing your, your one-minute testimony. Look for that opportunity. Always be ready for a, a, a time to give the reason of the hope you have in you. That's the most generous thing that you could do. And number three, let God receive all the glory. We're going to give all the glory to God. That's our purpose for living. It's our purpose for being. It's our purpose for being, for being saved. It's our purpose in life is to give the glory and honor to God. I'd like to ask you to respond with me as we stand together. I want to pray together today as we finish, finish out this service. And I want us to remember the goodness and generosity of God in our lives. Would you say that God has been good to you? Would you say that you have a testimony that God is good, that he's been faithful to you? Has God been patient with you? Has God been loving to you? Has God showed you his grace in, in your life? That's my testimony. 
my testimony is that my life has been changed because of God. I wouldn't be here today if it were not for the change that he made in my life through Jesus Christ. You have that opportunity to express that to other people. Thanksgiving, Christmas are wonderful opportunities. But all through the year, we have opportunities to show God's generosity through our words and through our actions. And if you'll ask him, the Holy Spirit will show you ways that you can express God's generosity to people around you. And my goal is that every one of us would be able to lead someone to Jesus Christ this year. That within this coming season, every one of us in this room would have an opportunity to share our faith with somebody who doesn't know Jesus Christ. And as a result, that person, like Lee Strobel, will begin to long to know this Jesus that you know. We have the opportunity to make him real to, to people around us. It's only a concept, but when they see it lived out in your life, it could be that co-worker that's so difficult to work with. It could be a neighbor that gets on your nerves, but we have an opportunity to bring, bring something over. We have an opportunity to say something good. We have an opportunity to express God's generosity to people around us and lead them to Christ. I don't want to close today without this opportunity. If there's someone here that you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ, if you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, this is your opportunity today to open your heart and say, Jesus, I need you in my life. Come into my life and forgive me of my sins. And if you do that, then your life will change. Your life will change today. But all of us have the opportunity to present ourselves to God as a holy sacrifice of praise and worship to the Lord through our words and our actions that will bring glory and honor to God. I want to ask you today as we respond to this word, I want to ask us to close our eyes and just put your hand over your heart and say, Lord, I'm giving you myself. You have been so generous with me. You have given so much to me, and I want to give myself to honor you. I want to give my words. I want to give my actions. I want to give my life to show your generosity and your love to other people around me. Lord Jesus, use me to cause someone to be hungry and thirsty to know you. That my life, my words, and my actions will cause someone to long to know Jesus. And I'll have the opportunity to lead them into a relationship with you. We thank you, Lord, for your great love and generosity to us today. In Jesus' name, everyone in agreement said amen. Thanks again for listening to this message. Do you know someone who'd be blessed by it? Make sure to share it with them this week.